Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, Jesus is alive. We just encouraged each other with the good news, the fact that Jesus is alive. And so often, we can have mantras about truth from the Bible, things like Jesus is alive, but not stop and consider what that actually means. What does it actually mean that Jesus rose from the dead? That's a big question. It's a big question that I think we need to answer from the Bible, one that we're going to answer today. But we, we, we think about the good news of the gospel. One of the things that, that we preach regularly here and what Paul preached regularly is Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. In fact, in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, he said, We have decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. And yet, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, If Christ is not raised from the dead, we should be pitied among all men. In other words, if Christ did not come back from the grave, everyone on, on this planet should be, feel sorry for Christians for gathering to celebrate Jesus being alive. We should, they should feel sorry for us because we are worshiping a king and a gospel that cannot save because Christ, in fact, has not risen from the dead. But if he has risen from the dead, it changes everything, and we shouldn't be pitied. And in fact, the pity should go the other way around. We pity those who have not yet experienced the love of God in Christ Jesus. We want them to know the love of God in Christ Jesus because Christ has been raised. And here's the point. If Christ was not raised from the grave, if he did not come back, if Easter is not something we celebrate every year, if Sunday didn't happen, then the cross is meaningless. Then the cross is meaningless. There is no cross to preach if Christ is still dead and in the grave. But because he rose from the dead, because he's alive, because he's seated at the right hand of the Heavenly Father, we can know, because of Easter, that the sacrifice that Jesus laid down as he laid down his life, that sacrifice was accepted by the Heavenly Father. And so we're going to look at three things today that the, the resurrection did. And the first thing we're going to look at is something that is already accomplished. Now, there's a million things that flow from the resurrection of Christ, but we're going to look at one thing that was accomplished and is already accomplished. It's done and it's finished. It's past tense. And it's this word justification. Jesus was raised for our justification. So we're going to look at one thing that is accomplished, and then we're going to look at two things that the resurrection promises. So two promises that flow from the resurrection. So something that's already accomplished and two things that are promised from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so as we think about Easter, as we think about Jesus being alive, we can at least drive out of here today knowing these three things for certain about the resurrection of Jesus. The sermon title today is The Accomplishment and the Promises of the Resurrection. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Lord Jesus, we need your help. We know that you are not bound by anything. There's nothing that binds you. We know that you are all-powerful, and Holy Spirit, we know you're at work right now. And I pray through the sound waves, through the, even through the neighborhood, that people would experience your presence and power this morning. I pray that they would experience you, Jesus, the risen Lord. And I pray for each family that's in the car and for each child that's in a car. I pray that today, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. That children see, that children in our fam church family see the beauty of Jesus being alive and what he did for them by defeating death. 
And I pray for each adult here as we're listening in. I pray that you would challenge us with your word. And I pray that we would walk out of here bold and encouraged because all that you have done for us. I ask for your help. I trust that you're going to give it. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you would, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 14. Now, I've got four passages that I'm going to ask you to flip to as you're sitting in your car or turn to as you're, uh, as you're on your phone today. And then I'm going to have some supplemental passages as well. And so today we're going to be stepping out of Romans and we're doing more of a topical study of resurrection. Now, it is going to be expository, so I am going to be preaching from the text. And you'll see why I'm preaching what I'm preaching from the text. It's going to drive the sermon, but this is a topical sermon today. But what I want to do in Ephesians chapter 1 is I want to lay a foundation for us uh, for the words accomplished and promised. Accomplished and promised. So we're looking at something in the resurrection that's accomplished, past tense, and then something that's promised, future tense. So I want to show us where I'm getting that. Why, why am I talking about something past and future? In the Bible, we use this language sometimes that, that can be helpful as we try to understand the resurrection and future events that are promised to us in salvation, we talk about the already and the not yet. The already and the not yet. What's already done and what's not yet, but what's promised in the future. And we get that from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 through 14. Follow along with me or just listen along with me as I read it. In him we have obtained an inheritance. So there's the already. This is past tense. There's something that those in Christ have already received. There's an inheritance that we have already received. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Sidebar, we could say even the coronavirus, praise God. Even COVID-19, he works to the counsel of his will. Satan will not have the last laugh. And maybe today is the day of your salvation, by the way. Maybe friends and family that you've been praying for. I know God's purpose through coronavirus is to save people. It's always his purpose to do that. Let's trust him for it. But having been predestined to the, the purpose of him who works all things to the, according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, when you heard the word of the truth of the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Okay, so here's the foundation. There are things in this text that we already have. Things that are past tense, that's already been accomplished, that God has already done. Not that we have done, that he has done. And so we think about that, we see that we have been chosen or predestined before uh, predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things to the counsel of his will. We have been regenerated. We have been justified. And then in verse 13, we're told that we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. This is all past tense, things that have been, been happening before and that God has done in the past. So when we believed the gospel of Jesus, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Past tense, it's already done. But then in verse 14, even though we know that we have already received an inheritance, something already accomplished, we are told that there's something out there in the future that we're looking forward to that's not happened yet. It's procured for us, it's promised to us, but we don't yet have it in our possession. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. 
So there are things promised to the believer that are way out there. We'll, we'll call eternity future that way, southwest, okay? Like eternity future out that way that's coming to us, but it's not yet. It's a promise, but we don't yet have it in our possession. We have the sealing of the Holy Spirit right now already. We have justification already, things that are, that are ours. They're in our possession. We are children of God right now. We are forgiven right now. But we are not yet glorified now. And this earth is not yet fully restored now. So there are already realities to the resurrection. And then there are future promises to the resurrection. And so we're going to look at that one. One already promised. One already accomplished. Excuse me, not promised. One already accomplished act of God. And then two future promises. The already, the not yet. And so what is already accomplished? First, we're going to look at the word justification. We've been talking a lot about justification from the book of Romans, and it has been such a delight to talk about justification. It is the crown jewel of Christian teaching. Justification in the Christian faith is unique to any other religious message in the entire world. There's nothing like it, because in Christianity, justification comes on the front end. You don't have to wait till you die to know if I'm right with God or not. You can know now, today. And for those who are in Christ, we do know that we are right with God, forgiven, that we have peace with God. Romans chapter 4, verse 22 through 25 says this. That is why, it's a little windy out here. My pages are turning a bit. Starting in verse 22, Romans 4. This is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it, thank you, amen. <laughs> I think that was little Jack right there. Was that Jack? I think that was Jack. All right. Jack is fired up, man. That's why faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So for those who by grace believe in the risen Lord, who believe in him who was raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification, raised for our justification. Here we have in Romans 4 a connection point, something that's tied in together, resurrection and justification. They're intricately woven together. God has established them to be put together. And so often in our mind, when we think about justification, we think about the words, it is finished, because Jesus, as he goes to the cross and obeys his heavenly Father perfect, all the way, even to the point of death, he makes this bold declaration, it is finished. And it was. But it, how do we know? How do we know that everything he did was accepted by God the Father? Because of the resurrection. And here, this word justification and resurrection is tied together. Resurrection, justification. Jesus was raised for our justification. Resurrection of Jesus is proof that the substitute sacrifice of Jesus was accepted by God the Father. The gavel has come down. My bride will be justified. And when we think about Jesus being alive every e and every day and every Easter Sunday, when we remember him, we have an opportunity to thank our risen Savior for our justification. He was raised for it. And so we praise him for it. And I want you to catch this. Justification 
Because it's tied in with resurrection, I mean, you see it right there in the text, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Because resurrection and justification are tied together, justification for the believer in Christ is as certain as Jesus' resurrection is. The true Christian cannot be unjustified because Jesus cannot be unresurrected. If Jesus is alive, the Christian is justified. They're tied in. They can't be separated. Your justification is a past tense promise that busted into your soul, and because Jesus is alive, you are justified. He was raised for our justification, and if Jesus was raised for our justification, think with me. Again, thinking caps on here. If Jesus was raised for our justification, then justification is nothing that we have earned. Jesus earned it and accomplished it for us. You can't earn it. You can't attain it. And if you got it, you can't lose it. Why? Because Jesus is alive. If you know him, if you are truly born again, you are as secure as the risen Lord. He, he was raised for your justification. And Christianity, because Jesus can't be unresurrected, then your justification is as secure as that. And Christianity, as stated before, is the only religion in the world. I mean, just think about the, the reality of this promise and how scary it would be uh, to, actually, to actually believe this, and we do, to tell somebody, if you come to Christ, your sins are forgiven totally, finally, fully, your sins in the past, your sins in the future, they're as forgiven as Jesus is alive. Done and over with. You're forgiven grace like that is radical and it's not found anywhere else and it's transforming if you understand justification that he was raised for our justification it changes everything and many of us i mean people here who love jesus and know him you know how transforming it is to understand your justification that you have been counted righteous in jesus that he took the penalty of your sin that he died in your place and he rose from the grave overcoming it all and now by grace, through faith, you have been saved and forgiven and counted righteous. The gavel has come down. He was raised for our justification and we have played no part. By grace, believe. Welcome to Christianity. Easter Sunday, it declares the truth of the gospel of Jesus. Justification is just one thing among a million things that the resurrection accomplished. Just one thing among a million things. But it is very, very precious. It was accomplished, done, and over with. You are justified because Jesus is alive. But what is promised? So we've looked at what is accomplished. He was raised for your justification. Now let's look at two incredible promises. So in promise number one, we see that the reverse, that Jesus' resurrection reverses, it unwinds the curse, the effect of the fall. What Jesus' death, or resurrection does by overcoming death, death was the curse for the sin of Adam. By Jesus overcoming death, he starts to unwind everything that sin messed up. He starts to restore. He starts to fix. And one day, everything that was undone by the curse will be completely eradicated. This earth, this world will be restored. Promise number two that we're going to look at is our future resurrection. Because Jesus resurrected from the dead, because he is alive, you too will have life after death. This life is not all we get. It's not all we get. 
because Jesus rose from the dead, you will raise from the grave. So let's look at promise number one. Turn, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to look at verse 15 to 19. Verses 15 to 19. Promise number one. Jesus' resurrection reverses the effects of the fall. That's what we're looking at. Now, please help me. Can you still hear me? Good. Thumbs up if you can hear me well. Okay, good. Hey, isn't this fun talking about the resurrection? All right. Verse 15 through 19. Colossians chapter 1, 15 to 19. Here it is. The word of the Lord. He, Jesus, is the invisible image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him... All things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him or for, and for him. And by the way, if you've ever wondered, what's my purpose in life? And you've ever struggled to know that answer to that question, and it's become ethereal and kind of a fun thing to go out and seek and find your own purpose. All that is nonsense. Here's your purpose. You were created by Jesus for Jesus. It's settled. It's done. You don't need to search. You don't need to try to figure it out for yourself. Well, what's my purpose? Here's your purpose assigned to you, given to you by God. You live for Jesus. That's the purpose of your life. That's the purpose of my life. We exist and we were created by Jesus for Jesus. And here's what he says. Well, I've lost my place. It's the wind. Okay, 15 to 19. Here we go. All things were created for him, through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross we have here the cross and we have jesus's resurrection because he was the first born from the dead jesus was the first born from the dead that's his resurrection in verse 15 he's the first born that's what we're going to look at that's going to be the third point third point we are going to be born like that in the future born and have a new body a resurrected body like jesus did since he is the firstborn from the dead, we're also told, told that through the cross and the resurrection in verse 20, that he did all this to reconcile to himself all things. To reconcile. Meaning, before the cross, there were things from the fall forward that were not yet reconciled to him. And at the cross, Jesus came to reconcile all things to himself. And not just people to himself. Not just individuals to himself. He came to reconcile all things to himself on earth and in heaven, meaning the cosmos, everything up here. He made peace by the blood of the cross. By defeating death, here's the deal. Jesus is undoing the effects of the fall. So it's this great rewinding work that God is up to in the resurrection of Jesus. It is this promise that since death has be, been defeated, the consequences of death will be defeated. They will be undone. His bodily resurrection is representative of what will happen to this earth and the heavens. 
his bodily resurrection, him coming back to life with flesh on his skin, not just a spiritual resurrection, but a physical bodily resurrection is representative of what will happen everywhere. Things will be remade. They will be restored. Jesus, by doing this, is promising, hey, Eden is coming back. Eden is coming back. And not just a small area, the Garden of Eden. This whole earth will be Edenic because Jesus came back from the dead and this earth belongs to him and it's been reconciled to him. He will make it beautiful again. COVID-19 has a shelf life. Cancer has a shelf life. AIDS has a shelf life. Tornadoes have a shelf life. Hurricanes have a shelf life. There's a time coming because Jesus rose from the grave where none of that will be present on this earth again. It will be physically restored and it will be better than Eden, better than the original state. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 4 excuse me, Romans chapter 8, and I want you to see this about creation, and we're going to do a little work here in Romans and in Second Peter, because there seems to be, sometimes in the Bible, we don't see passages as complementary, we see them as contradictory, because I think, like I stated last week, what, what's happened in society, and, and sadly sometimes in churches, is we get a culture of suspicion to God's word rather than surrender to God's word. And I want you to know that the Bible is never contradictory, ever. We know this. The Bible complements itself and it interprets itself. It's never against itself. So we're going to look at two complementary passages about these future promises. If, if because Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, all things are reconciled to him now, and, these, and all things are not yet reconciled actually here, what then is going to one day happen? And we're going to look at Romans chapter 8 to get an answer in 2 Peter chapter 3. Romans 8, verse 18 to 23. Here's what it says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Boy, what a great verse, by the way. But the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the, glory, the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We are waiting, even though we've already been adopted, we are waiting for our future bodies, waiting for redemption, waiting for adoption. There's something coming for the Christian in the future. There's promises that we stake our lives on that we hope in that are certain and they're absolute and the text tells us that creation itself is longing there's something in it there's something in the trees and in the plants and in the soil and in this world that's longing for the future promises to be a reality it says it says in the text it says Creation itself will be set free from its bondage. 
and it waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God in the future. That's what God is up to in the resurrection. So, when we think about what Jesus is doing, he is unwinding all the, the things that were subjected to futility on this earth. He's un unwinding it and restoring it. And one day, creation itself will be finally and fully set free. This earth will be remade. It will be restored. Jesus' bodily resurrection declares this. He is committed to not just our bodies. He's committed to his creation. Now, again, the Bible's not opposed to itself, and I wanted to answer possibly one objection that could come up and should come up in our mind, and it's from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. And I know if you're new with us today, this is not typical, flipping to so many passages. Typically, we preach right through a book of the Bible, and I've been preaching through the book of Romans for a little over a year now. And so this is not typical to be flipping as much as we are today, but for the sake of it being Easter Sunday, I wanted, to, wanted us to look at these passages. 2 Peter chapter 2, or excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3, uh, verse 10 says this. When we think about the future of this planet and the, re, and the reverse of the effects of the fall, this verse may pop into your mind. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. It will be exposed. Some of your translations may translate those Greek words a little bit differently. The content and the meaning is the same. But what I want us to think about, when we think about this, what often we think about Armageddon, I mean, this is a passage that, that a lot of people use to piece that together with the book of, with the book of Revelation. And, and create this idea that, uh, um, and construct this view of the future that includes basically God kind of blowing up this place and blowing up this earth and blowing up this, you know, everything that is the cosmos and kind of just, just washing his hands and then remaking and, and that's the new heavens and the new earth and all this will just be blown up and done away with. But I think what we see in Second Peter even in verse 7 I think what we see in verse 10 is the exact same thing. And here's what verse 7 says. But the same word, by that same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. And when I say that Jesus' resurrection has reversed the effects of the fall, that's one of the promises, that all the things that are, that are cursed by this fall will be uncursed because of what Jesus has done. And when we think about creation longing to be set free, Romans 8, and then this verse, we can start to piece together a couple things that I think are rather helpful. The way the earth will be restored and set free is through the judgment and destruction of the ungodly. There's going to be a day that God purges this earth and the way restoration is going to happen is that everything evil and wicked and undone and broken from the fall will be destroyed and burned away. It will be taken care of. And what will, will remain is the restored, the renewed, the cleaned up, the taken care of, the Edenic earth and cosmos. Everything that was undone by the fall was reversed because of Jesus' resurrection. It's a promise for us that he will make all things right. 
wrong things that have gone wrong, things that are out of order and in disorder will be made to be in order and work in the way they were created to work. The heavens and earth will be purified. The whole cosmos will be set free. And everything that's been cursed will be burned up. And as surely as Jesus overcame the curse of the fall, the resurrection power, as powerful as the curse was to infect every human being who has ever lived, to infect all the thorns and thistles and hard work and labor pains with women. I mean, can I get an amen from the ladies out there who's had babies? How hard that is? My goodness. All of the curse of the fall. Jesus' resurrection is more powerful than Adam's sin. And he, the great curse breaker, will fix it all. Everything that the curse messed up. The resurrection, Easter declares Jesus is king and he will make things right. We sing, we sing at Christmas time a song. I sang last week during the sermon and I just feel like singing again this week. Last week I sang, this week, joy to the world. We often think about joy to the world, the Lord has come. We, we think about that as a Christmas hymn. But I want you to hear a line Enjoy to the world. And think about it in light of the resurrection, in light of Jesus undoing the curse. Here's what line three says, the third verse of Joy to the World. No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Nor thorns infest the ground. Okay, as I'm singing, think through the words. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. As far as the curse is found is as far as the blessings of Christ will flow across this world and cosmos. How amazing is that? Jesus will do this. He will accomplish it. He has promised it. The work of Adam cursed the earth. The work of Jesus blesses the earth. And here's a caveat. Something we need to talk about at the end. This is what the work of Jesus through the resurrection does for all those who are in Christ. But for those who reject Christ and die in their sins, it will be a different story. We'll talk a little bit more about that here in a second. Promise two, promise two, we're to our final promise of the morning. Promise one is that Jesus would reverse the effects of the call. Promise two is our, the Christian's, future resurrection. Back to Colossians, back to Colossians chapter one. We see in verse, we see in verse 18 that Jesus is the head of the body, the church, which makes me, you know, pastoring and, and in this season where we can't see each other's face we can't meet with each other in the ways that we normally meet this is this is the like this is great that we can do this and by the way we're gonna we're planning on doing this as long as we have permission from the mayor we're gonna keep doing this unless things just radically change if we have legal permission to do this we're gonna be here every week and unless things change next week which can happen we're gonna gather but man being here like this it makes me want to shake your hand and hug you and tell you how much I love you and I hope that that happens that's that's what this is creating in us a longing to be inside these doors and to be in each other's homes and to break bread together and to eat together and laugh together and shake a hand and give each other 
a hug. You know, the CDC says, one of the leaders of the CDC, one of the advisors of Trump says that we'll probably never be able to shake hands or hug again. Well, for Christians, that's just not the case. That's one place that we're going to have to disagree because we're told to greet one another with a holy kiss. And our application of that is a warm greeting. I'm not going to grab you and kiss your cheek. Don't worry. But we are commanded to greet one another in an affectionate way, and that will march on. I can't wait to the day I can shake your hand and give you a hug again. But for now, this is what we got. Promise two, our future resurrection. Look at verse 18 again and see, he is the head of the body of the church. And the whole point of that was me saying, I'm so thankful, pastoring during this difficult time, that Jesus is our head pastor, that he's our lead pastor, that he knows what he's doing and we can trust him. And then it keeps going on. It says, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. The firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Meaning, he is the first resurrected one. But there's going to be seconds and thirds and millions more. As many as, as you can count the stars in the sky will be the sons and daughters of God who will also be resurrected like Jesus was. 1 Corinthians 15. You don't have to turn there if you don't want. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15 speaks a lot of the resurrection and it tells us that we are also going to rise. Even though we have been spiritually born again, we have been brought from spiritual death to spiritual life, we will be brought from physical death to physical life. So when we die right now, because we have spiritual life, because we've been born again, we get to go be with Jesus in heaven right now. But there's going to be a day when Christ returns that the soul and body will be connected again and our bodies will come back from the grave. When he comes, when the dwelling place of God is with man here on this earth, our bodies, we will be bodily. And we will remember that this time right here, this is the shadow lands. This is the land that doesn't have any color. This is the, uh, the land of joylessness. Heaven one day will be full of color. And think about how gracious God is now to let us have joy, to let us see color, to let us taste food. But we have not seen colors like we will one day see. We will not taste joy today like we will one day have. And we have never tasted food yet on this earth. The best steak you've ever had is nothing compared to what we will enjoy for eternity. We are promised a future resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12 through 16 says this. Now, if Christ is proclaimed from the dead, as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So here's the point. There were some people in Corinth who were saying, oh, there's no bodily resurrection. That's just a spiritual resurrection. There's not actually life from the dead where one day you're going to get a body back. There's no future. There's no, this is it, man. This is it. It's all spiritual. It's all foggy land. And Paul writes back and he boldly says, hey, if there's no resurrected body, if this thing isn't actually earthy, if there's not dirt in it, there's not flesh on it, those bones, if it's just spiritual, then this is pointless. Then even Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead. But he goes on. But if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. But if we, and we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Jesus. He raised Christ, whom he did not raise, 
if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Friends, because Jesus has been raised, others will be raised as well. We will rise. Jesus is the first. Ours is a promise to come. It's out there. Our future bodies will be like Jesus' resurrected body. And Jesus shows us that there, in fact, is life after death. Jesus' resurrection shows us that there is life after death. Real life. Air to be breathed. Food to be eaten. Friendships to be had. His resurrection declares there is a future resurrection for you coming. It's not just spiritual. It's not just ethereal. It's not just in the clouds. There is reality to it. And I want to answer a question that I've had for a long time, and I want to do it from Revelation chapter 22, 1 through 5. When we receive our resurrected bodies, when we are the army of the Lord destroying His enemies, when we are reigning in this world or in this life, when Christ returns and we have our resurrected body, what is it that we're going to be doing? Will we just be singing Amazing Grace? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me for all eternity? Will eternity just simply be a worship service? I mean, we will be worshiping for eternity, but will it just be an endless gathering where we're just singing? And, and although if that's what God had for us, that would be amazing. That would be a wonderful thing. But he has so much more for us than that. It's not just a worship service. It's full joy forevermore. But listen to these two things. Our resurrected body will be doing forever. Revelation 22, verse 1 through 5. Here's what it says. Then an angel showed me the river of the water of life, brought bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God. And the Lamb of God will be in the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. Nations, no longer will there be anything accursed. Get that. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and the Lamb of God will be on it, and His servants, or His slaves, us, glad, willing, children of God, sons and daughters of God, his servants will worship him. The first thing that our resurrected body will be doing according to Revelation 22 throughout all eternity is worshiping God. Worshiping God. That's what we'll be doing. Worshiping King Jesus. Nothing will be accursed. And the second thing we're going to be doing as we read on is this. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will, need, they will need no light or lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. When we receive our promised resurrected body, our eternity will be filled up worshiping King Jesus and all that we do and reigning forever and ever and ever this world the way Adam and Eve were created to reign. Adam and Eve were created and commissioned to reign, to go forth, bear fruit, and multiply, and take dominion and subdue the earth. And that's what we will do. We will be kings and queens of this earth, servants of the Most High God. And we will serve Him and love Him and worship Him and love each other and worship 
King Jesus together all the days of our life throughout all eternity. It will never end because Jesus is alive. That's what he has promised to us. An eternity of full joy, not partial joy. Well, we like 10 billion years from now, we'll start to get bored worshiping him or reigning with him. Full joy, forever worshiping him and reigning with him. This is what Jesus has accomplished and promised in his resurrection. We are justified. We already have been justified. It's a promise. All right, it's, it's an accomplishment. It's done. Take it to the bank. And then he has promised. He has defeated death and the curse. There will be no curse left. We will be resurrected as well. We have a promise of a resurrected body. And here is the caveat. This is only for the people of God. This is only for the people of God. And I want you to be thinking about, as I finish this, I want you to be thinking about God's precious grace that saved you. I want you to think about how kind God has been to you. And if you don't know Him yet, you can repent of your sins and trust in Him. And if you do that, that's solely by God's grace and His grace and his, Him alone. His grace and His alone. And you can experience the love of God as we have. This is only for the people of God. So the question I have for you this morning, and for those who can definitively say, yes, absolutely, I know I'm justified, I know I'm saved, I know I'm born again, then praise God for it. But for those who don't know, here's the question. Are you born again? Are you born again? Have you been made new? Has the old man or woman passed away? Has new come? Do you have desires in your heart, deep down, to honor God and to love God and to follow Jesus all the days of your life? When you hear the cross of Christ, is it precious to you? And here's what's so amazing about grace. If you're truly born again, even when the cross of Christ doesn't taste as sweet as it should or feel as precious as it, as it should, you're still justified. But are you born again? Have you ever repented of your sins and trusted in Christ? Because although the resurrection promises future bodily resurrection, the resurrection also promises life after spiritual death. Jesus coming back to life promises that People in this life will move from spiritual death to spiritual life. And for anybody who is a Christian, you came into this thing through supernatural means. You came into this thing through Jesus saving you and bringing you from spiritual death to spiritual life. That's why N.T. Wright, kind of a, a, a guy that gets some things wrong, gets this right. He says that future resurrection is life after, life after death. Because believers, friends... If you're here this morning and you know Jesus, you've experienced life after death because you have the Spirit of God flowing through your veins. You've experienced life after death. And that's what the resurrection promises as well. So have you been set free from the bondage of sin? Have you, by grace, repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ? If not, the future for you is not as I have promised, the future for you is one of judgment, not eternal joy. It's one of God's wrath, not His favor. But this day, today, you can meet Jesus. This day, today, right now, if you don't know Him, kids who are, who are listening in, and any adult here who doesn't know Him, you can tell God, God, I have lived my way. I have thought I've known best. 
I have rejected you. I've ran from you. I have pushed down and suppressed the conviction of the Holy Spirit that tugs on my heart. When I know I should run to you, I've ran away from you. This day, you can tell him you're sorry. You can repent and you can say, Jesus, save me. And he will save you, not because of your prayer, not because, not because you say the right or magical words. He will save you because he loves you and he came to rescue sinners. You can meet Jesus today. He loves you. Or, this is the truth, you can reject him. You can reject him yet again. And I want to plead with you. I want to plead with you. You're here this morning because God is so kind to bring us here. We're, we're here. It's different. But if you don't know Jesus, I'm pleading with you. Like Use this season to evaluate your life, to think about your life. This is a time of chastisement and judgment from God. It is. The enemy wants to destroy you and wants to take as many people to hell with him. God has his purposes with this whole season right now. And I pray people wake up and they see it and they run to Jesus. Not they reject, not that they reject him, run from him and suppress his work. I want you to trust in Jesus today. And if you have trusted in Jesus today, praise him all the more as we sing our final songs. Praise him all the more for the fact that he has given you through the resurrection, through Easter, he has given you justification. He has promised to undo all the effects of the fall. And he has promised to give you a future body in which you will worship him forever and you will reign with him forever. This is good news. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your love. There is no message like this. You can travel land and sea, height and depth. You can talk to every person around the world and you'll not find a message of grace. You'll not find a gospel, a good news of justification like this that says you can have your sins forgiven now. You don't have to perform the rest of your life. You don't have to try to get yourself out of the gutter. You don't have to get the mud off your own life. Come to Jesus just as you are and he will forgive you. He will count you as righteous. He will clean you up and he will declare that you are his. There is a father calling. Just like in Luke 15, seeing his sons and daughters who have ran and rejected and who have come to return and he is ready to come and embrace you and love you and grab you and throw a party for you. This is our Heavenly Father who sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life, a substitutionary life, to die a substitutionary sacrificial death in the place of sinners and to raise from the dead that Easter would come, that justification would come, that restoration would come, that hope would come. And he did it for us. We thank you for your kindness. Holy Spirit, lead us. We trust you will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.